invite you to pray with me. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight. You are truly our blessed rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're in the middle of our study, a small group study called Unafraid. It's based on a book by Adam Hamilton. And the chapters this week deal with, it's sort of the collection of things that didn't fit neatly into another chapter. It's kind of a hodgepodge chapter. But one of the subcategories is uh, finances and worries about finances and financial security. That gives us some context uh, for where we're going this morning. Uh, we have a picture, I think, on the overhead screen of a guy with lots of hair. That's Sam Bankman-Fried. How many of you heard of Sam Bankman-Fried? Yeah, about half of you have. He's on trial right now for fraud. Uh, his story goes something like this. In 2018, Sam Bankman-Fried worked for a Wall Street investment firm, and he came across this wonderful notion that you could trade Bitcoin, you could buy Bitcoin in America and then sell it in Japan and the value of each of those trades was about $1,000. That's called arbitrage for those of us in the financial sector, which is not me, by the way. And, and, and he got this idea that he could borrow lots of money and make lots of these transactions and it worked. All of a sudden, Sam Bankman-Fried had made $25 million, $25 million through the simple act of arbitrage. He decided to take that $25 million and, and, and invest it. He invested it in a trading company uh, called uh, FTX. It's a, a Bitcoin, among other currency trading company, and to form a venture, capital, venture capitalist uh, uh, firm associated with this called Alameda Research recruited some of his friends, and they decided they would work together to create financial security for themselves. It grew quickly, in fact, quicker than they could ever imagine. They made lots and lots and lots of money, and they spent lots and lots and lots of money. And because they were investing in, in, in Bitcoin, amongst other things, uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, if you will. Cryptocurrency, by the way, comes from the Greek word crypto, K-R-Y-P-T-O. Crypto means hidden or secret. It also can mean ghostly. Our word crypt, which, by the way, is a popular term at Halloween time, right? Crypt is a place where we keep the dead. Now think about it. If you're buying currency that's named after a place where you keep the dead, that should tell you something about that currency. And in fact, it did, right? The old adage, what goes up must eventually come down. The value of this currency sunk when the value began to sink. Sam Bankman-Fried allegedly began to panic. He and his buddies began to try to figure out ways to keep their company afloat. But because it was built on a house of cards, it fell apart. Leaving investors on the hook for millions and millions of dollars. And some saying he committed an act of fraud, which is why he's on trial to this very day. What a reporter who was talking about this on NPR this week suggested was that what happened to Sam Bankman-Fried is that he panicked. He became concerned about his financial security. For about the last 50 years, the American Psychiatric Association has been conducting an annual poll of Americans. And what they're trying to do is to find out what it is that makes us anxious, makes us fearful. What is it that makes Americans anxious or fearful? Since 2007, the top answer has been the same every single year. Americans are 
anxious, are fearful about our financial security. Most years, this is not only the top answer, it's the top answer by a mile. They'll be reporting here in the next week or so the answer for 2023, but in 2022, over 60% of Americans said the thing we are the most anxious about, the thing we are the most fearful about is our finances and our financial security. Now, what's interesting about this survey is when you look at it, it doesn't matter how much money we make. The poorest of the poor note that they are worried about their financial security. The richest of the rich note that they are worried about their financial security. In fact, one year they surveyed just those who had a, a, a net worth of at least $5 million. And those folks who had a net worth of at least $5 million overwhelmingly reported they were worried about their financial security. Give me $5 million. I don't think I'd be worried about my financial security, but maybe I would. In fact, this worry about our financial security is interesting in these days. Economists tell us that for the most part, we shouldn't be anxious, right? The economy's humming along. We just got a great jobs report. Inflation is relatively stable. Why is it that we are so worried about something that perhaps we shouldn't be worried about? I think goes to the nature of anxiety in the first place and the fact that as human beings, we are an anxious lot. So when Jesus was dealing with this, with somebody that came to him in the crowd and said, I'm worried about my financial security, Jesus, tell my brother to settle things with me so I can be more secure. And Jesus answered with a crazy parable about a rich man who became even richer, so rich that he built bigger and bigger barns, extended his business empire, and one night sat in his backyard and looked over all of it and said to himself, I've got it made. And Jesus says, and I've always pictured him with a smile on his face at this moment in the parable, what that fool didn't realize is at that very moment, death came calling, and the fortune he had amassed was a cryptocurrency that has no value in heaven. How do we deal with our anxiety about financial security? Well, the first thing we do is we acknowledge it, right? That's, that's the response we always should have to anxiety is to name it and acknowledge it. We acknowledge the fact that we are anxious about our financial security. That, that's a human uh, nature question for us. Are we anxious? Yes, we're anxious. Just acknowledging the fact that we're anxious about it is the first step towards taking control of that anxiety. And, and, and we should worry about our financial security. Remember, worry is not anxiety. Worry prompts us to act. Anxiety freezes us and keeps us from acting. What we want to do is to respond in some way, and worry is that response. In, in general, one of the ways that we worry is to develop a plan of action, right? We should have some savings. Most, most economic uh, gurus suggest that we should have at least a year's worth of savings at hand at all times to keep us relatively financially secure. Most of us, when we think about financial security, tend to think about our houses and our stuff, right? Our, our wealth, our, our houses are what we think makes us secure. Homeownership is still a part of the American dream, right? Uh, if, if you're blessed to live in your own home, there's probably no better feeling on earth than coming home at night and locking the doors and turning on the lights and putting on your PJs and sitting on your couch and thinking, I am at home, I am safe, right? 
There's a multi-million dollar industry that markets itself primarily on making us feel safe when we are at home, right? Some of us have bought into that industry. We want to feel safe. We want to believe that our homes are our security. And it is a wonderful thing to have that security. But do our homes really keep us safe? If our home is the thing, our earthly home that we're putting all our trust in, we're coming up on the 10th anniversary of the devastating tornado that many of you experience losing your home. You know what it's like to lose that sense of security. Sometimes we tend to think it's our stuff that makes us feel secure, right? It's our treasures, it's our wealth, it's our bank account, it's our collection of things. These are the things that we're going to trust in. I was reading a, a story not too long ago uh, about archaeologists in Egypt who have just uncovered another part of an ancient uh, uh, a burial cave for uh, one of the pharaohs, and, and they were talking about the fact that the pharaohs believed that they would, after death, travel to another world, and they would live in another world, and if you were wealthy enough and you believed in this, you would have yourself mummified, and it was believed that your mummified body would reunite with your soul in that other world, and you would live on there forever. And if you were rich enough, once you were buried, you were buried with all your stuff, because you're going to take your stuff with you into that next life. So we have very rich people buried in very elaborate tombs with gold and silver, sometimes with food and wine, sometimes with their servants, sometimes with their animals. There was a pharaoh named Khufu who buried himself with a 40-foot yacht. Now that is the way to travel into the next life, my friends. But here's the reality of that, right? They've gone on to wherever they've gone on to, and they've left their stuff behind. We know that because we keep finding it in their burial tombs. In some cases, it's been looted over the centuries. In some cases, it's fallen apart. And in some cases, some lucky archaeologist has stumbled on it, just as Indiana Jones did just a few years ago, right? They found these people's stuff because we can't take it with us into heaven. It may have currency and value in this life, but it's not ultimately what we should put our security in which is precisely the point that Jesus was making about this foolish man who trusted that he had it made because of all of his stuff, because of his house, because of his things. It's okay to worry about our financial security. It's probably a good thing for us to worry about our financial security. But we must learn not to let anxiety freeze us when it comes to this. How do we do this? I, I think that there are a couple of verbs that, that I want to focus on, and, and uh, Pastor Adam Hamilton does this really well in, in, in the book, and if you're in a small group study, you'll encounter it in the study. And the, the first of these verbs is the verb employ. Remember that, that, that anxiety freezes us, right? Anxiety causes us not to act. And, and what we need to do to take charge of our anxiety is to act in some way, to take control of that in some way. And, and to employ is to take control of, in some sense, the treasure that we do have, the treasure that is temporarily ours, the treasure that we now have possession over, whether it's our house or our stuff or our finances. As we learn to employ it, we learn to say that at least in this life, at least in this moment, this is my to take control of. I'm not going to let it take control of me, right? 
I'm going to take control of it. Jesus tells this wonderful parable about a man who goes away on a business trip and he calls his servants and he says to his servants, while I'm gone, I want you to take control of this treasure, right? And two of the servants take control of it and they employ it and the third servant digs a hole in the ground like our ancestors did, puts his money in the mason jar and buries it there until the man of the house comes back again and demands an accounting of what he has done with that treasure, We are called to employ our treasure. Now, as we employ our treasure, our gifts, our wealth, a portion of that we understand that we employ with God, right? Because of our relationship with God. Because we are in friendship with God, we understand that we're in a relationship with God. We employ a portion of that towards God. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Employ your gifts towards God, develop the relationship with God, that's really tough for us. It's tough for us because first we're thinking of this as our treasure, right? But is it really ours? Do we get to keep it? Do we get to take it into the next life? Does it have any currency there? It belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. It's in our temporary control. And what does God ask for us in return? is to share a small portion of that back with God. The biblical standard is the tithe. Tithe means 10%. God's asking us to tithe 10%. That's a tough thing for us to consider. And whether you're tithing that to a church, or you're tithing that to a ministry, or you're tithing that to a mission, it's a tough thing to get to that place because it's a trust thing for us to get to that place. But God makes it clear that for us to have a sense of employment of ownership we need to trust in that relationship if you read the book of malachi you know that towards the end god the only time god ever says this god says test me in this try me out in this employ some of your gifts for my sake and see if you are not blessed in return See if you are not blessed in abundance in return. We take control over our anxiety by the way we employ our wealth. And if we trust in God with a small portion of that, we have a sense of security from that. Many years ago, I was uh, serving at uh, a church in Maryville, Illinois, St. Luke's United Methodist Church, and the church was rapidly growing at the time. I think we doubled in size or some, some ridiculous thing, and, and we, were, we were stressed out in our church building because it was built for 120 worshipers. We now had 250 worshipers. We had lots of community things that we were involved in. The Holy Spirit was doing great things there, and so we decided to do a building campaign. And I know some of you have been through building campaigns before. They're not a lot of fun. They're not a lot of fun to be on the receiving of and there's sure not a lot of fun to be on the planning end of but we were on the planning end of that and we decided to build the campaign around Matthew 6 33 seek ye first the kingdom of God and we sent out these letters with pledge cards in them we asked our members to pray over the pledge card and we hoped that we would raise two hundred and fifty thousand dollars And we had a Sunday where we brought our cards up and dedicated them to the Lord. And then later that afternoon, we met my study eye and about six or seven of the church leaders. And we opened those pledge cards. And we were reading the amounts, not the names, but reading the amounts on the pledge card. And it was my job to stand at a whiteboard and kind of tally all those numbers up. 
And, and I would get excited when, you know, we'd get a big number, $5,000 or something like that, that we would write up on the board. And, and, and we would pray over the envelope, and we would open it up, and the leader would, again, not read the name, but would say, this is a pledge for this amount. And all of a sudden, one of the leaders opened up one of the envelopes, and I heard her exclaim, oh my. I got pretty excited. I knew we had a couple people that worked for Anheuser-Busch Brewery in St. Louis. I thought maybe one of them had talked to one of the Bushes, and they had decided they were going to fund our entire campaign right then at that moment. I was getting ready to write $250,000 up on the whiteboard when she held up the card, and it was clear that the card had been filled out in crayon. I think it was orange crayon, if I remember. And, and the amount was $1 per month over three years. I did the math, that's $36. I'm not writing $36 up on a whiteboard, folks. And as I, I sat there, my spirit sank, and, and one of the other leaders in the room said, let me, let me look at that card, and, and the, this woman passed it to uh, another woman in the room, and she smiled and she said, that's my daughter's handwriting. My daughter is six years old, and I didn't know she had a pledge card. I don't know how she got a pledge card, but obviously she filled one out. And she said, what you need to know is that my daughter has an allowance of $10 a month. She's been saving up to buy an American Girl doll. And she's been diligently saving that money to buy the doll. And here she is committing that tithe back to the church and to the God she loves. I want to tell you, I felt about this tall at that moment. I turned around and wrote $36 up on the whiteboard. You see... What we give to God in that relationship expresses our faith in God and our control, our mastery, our understanding of what it means for us to employ the treasures God has given to us. I think when we get to heaven, St. Peter's going to ask us two questions. You've heard this before, right? Who did you bring with you? And what did you do with the stuff that I loaned to you? How are you employing the treasure that you have? Not letting it become your master, but taking mastery over it. The second thing ties into the first. I, I, I think if we, if we understand the importance of, of, of saving and worrying and preparing, and we understand that, that we are in control over that treasure and don't let that treasure take control over us, and we employ that treasure responsibly, we come to my favorite verb, which is enjoy, right? It seems odd to say that we should enjoy the treasure that God gave to us, but actually we should enjoy the treasure that God gave to us. Solomon, in this wonderful little book called Ecclesiastes, it's midway through your Old Testament, begins to talk about the treasures that he's had in this life. Solomon had a lot of treasures, folks. And he talks about the fact that at the end of his life, he realizes that these will no longer belong to him. They are, he uses this refrain throughout, dust in the wind. Kansas would later make it into a great 70s song. Solomon said it first. These are not mine. I do not hold on to them. I cannot possess them. But what I can do is responsibly enjoy them. And I will. One of my favorite Mother Teresa quotes goes something like this. If you have two loaves of bread, give one to feed the poor and sell the other to buy hyacinths to feed your soul. We can enjoy the treasures that we have. 
We should enjoy the treasures that we have. We should see them as blessings from God. And when we see them as blessings from God and we find some sense of enjoyment in them, we are continuing to take control over those treasures, right? And not let the treasures take control over us. I have some friends that I know this is going to get me in trouble with the bishop, but they like to go on the boat and uh, sit down at the slot machines. And, and they have this rule when they go to the boat and sit down at the slot machines. They take each of them, it's a husband and wife, they take $20 in with them. They leave their purse and their ATM debit cards in the car, right? They lock those up and they go in and they say what they actually get to do is enjoy spending that $20. And they know that at the end of the hour or however long they're going to spend on that boat, they will leave having lost just $20, but having enjoyed the process of losing their $20. I love $20 far too much to ever want to give it up to some machine somewhere. Right? They are enjoying their treasure without letting their treasure take control of them. How can you enjoy the treasures that God's given to you and not let that take control of you? My, my hobby uh, is collecting old baseball cards. Please do not give me your 1990 baseball cards. I like the really old stuff, like from the 60s and 70s. And, and, and my wife will confirm this. I am never happier than when I can go to a baseball card show for a couple of hours and, and just live in that world. That's a magical world for me to live in. And, and not too long ago, I was at a baseball card show, and I was working on, I'm working on the 1961 top set, and I was working on the 1961 top set, and I had this rule. The rule is, I got this from my friends that go on the boat, I never take more than $20 in with me into a card show, and I will know I'll never spend more than I actually should at that card show. And I was looking at a booth, and this guy had a, a, a Brooks Robinson 1961 Topps card, and it was encased in plastic. I've never seen so much plastic around a card. And he said to me, I'll sell it to you for only $200, and I looked at the man, and I wanted to say, get behind me, Satan. But boy, was I tempted. And I thought to myself, this is what would change. Something that I enjoy taking control of me and actually robbing me of the joy of spending that money. There's a danger, isn't there? There's a danger that our treasure takes control of us. And actually, when that happens, we really lose the enjoyment of spending a portion of that treasure. That's the challenge for us in enjoying. It's balancing that out. Friends, it's okay to be worried about our financial security. But we should worry more about our spiritual security. And once we know we have that in place, how we can employ some of what God's given to us, in the name of that relationship and enjoy some of what God's given to us as well. Then we can sit in our backyard, either in our $1,000 Lazy Bear, Lazy Boy recliner or our $5 Walmart folding chair and survey what it is that God has blessed us with and give thanks to God for the blessings of a relationship. And know that unlike the fool, in Jesus' parable, we are rich. Rich in the currency that carries us into heaven. 
and rich in the ways that we can employ and enjoy those gifts in this life. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for the treasures you have bestowed upon us. And as we share a portion of that treasure back with you this morning, remind us, remind us that it is a sign of our relationship with you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.